Words fill a page. Pages fill a chapter. Chapters fill a book. Everyone has a story. Some have a story they are proud of telling. Others will have stories they would rather not tell. Every decision, big or small, writes the story of your life. We all have portions of our story that are still unwritten, but one day you'll be able to tell a story from this season of your life and see the hand of the author as you turn the pages. Let God write your story and you'll live one worth telling. My story, living the story you want to tell. Well, good morning, everybody. Y'all doing all right? Are you awake? You had your coffee? Any coffee drinkers out there? Praise the Lord for coffee. Um, I don't know what I would do without it. Now, maybe a little unusual this morning because I am a very quirky, and as Adam put it early, zany kind of person. Um, but anyway, I'm so glad to be here today. And it really is an honor. I don't really get the opportunity to do this often. And uh, I take it very seriously. And so I've prayed, Lord, that I would be removed and that through this time that you would really see and hear from God, our Father and our Savior and our Redeemer. Now, before I begin, I need to put some people at ease, okay? Y'all ready for this? You're already like, what's he going to say? All right, as you know, when we have one service, we actually have two-year-olds and older in here. Now, how many of you have young ones here today? Raise your hand. Now, if you've had young kids in church before, it can be stressful, right? Because you're so worried that they're going to make noise and distract the people next to you, right? Amen or oh my? That's an amen moment. Y'all got to participate this morning now, I'm telling you. And I may have had a little bit too much coffee, but it's all good, right? Um, but anyway, listen, it's okay. We know that kids are going to make some noise. They're going to squirm a little bit, and it's okay. I've tried to make this message to where it's relevant to them as well. Um, but one of the things that I think that might help is that, did you get one of the children's worship bulletins? I hope you got these because I have a challenge to my kids who are in here, okay? Boys and girls, listen up. This is where you tune in, okay? If you will take your children's worship bulletin and you work on this and then you pay attention as best you can to the message this morning, when you come back next Sunday... You come see me or Robin or Brad or Caitlin. Tell us one thing that you've learned, and we will have a surprise for you. How about that? Okay? Because we want to know you're paying attention. And I think that will help a little bit. And the prizes are great, by the way. You actually get to choose from a variety of things. So anyway, I'm so glad that you guys are here. Okay, now. Let me kind of segue into what we're going to talk about today. When you think of a best friend, what do you think of? Who do you think of? What are the qualities that kind of come to mind? I'm talking BFFs. Do we still use the term BFFs? Is that still okay? You know, I'm old, okay? And this generation has all the like acronyms for everything. I can't keep up with that. And it confuses me, to be quite honest. Um, but anyway... Um, when we think of friendships, I think many of us kind of think of the same qualities, okay? Well, let me ask this question. When it comes to famous best friends, when you think back to like television shows or movies, do you have friends that just come to mind 
Have you thought about it? Well, I did a little bit of research, okay? And so I'm going to do something a little bit unusual because that's how I operate. Um, I might have just a tad bit of ADHD, so I am right there with the kids and trying to stay focused. So I've got my notes to keep me, you know, in there. But I researched to find out, well, maybe best friends in movies and television shows might be different based on the generation in which you grew up. So... I want to go through some of the generations, and let's just explore. Now, the shows and movies that I'm going to show, or pictures, are just from within that time frame. That doesn't mean that maybe you relate to that in your generation. It just is a way for me to put television and TV movie characters that appear during that time period. Okay, so the first generation are my baby boomers. So, baby boomers are the ones born between 19... 46 and 1964. So who are my baby boomers? Raise your hand, stand up, do the hokey pokey. Oh, look, there's several. Oh, look, even in the balcony. Hello. Um, Well, in the baby boomer generation, here are some examples of best friends. Oh, do you know who this is? Do you remember their names? Spanky and Alfalfa. Now, Alfalfa always, his trademark is that hair sticking straight up. Do you remember the dog's name? Oh, the classic. Classic. By the way, I mean, you see a big difference in the quality and material of children's shows back then to what we have now. Oy vey. Anyway, that's just a possibility right there. Okay. Or it might be this. Oh, Lucy and Ethel. Lucy, they were always full of shenanigans, weren't they? You know, Lucy, you have some splaining to do. Great shows. You need to watch those. Okay. Or here's another possibility. I love it. I bet many of you out there are tapping your fingers. Because how can you not to this music? Okay. So you got the Lone Ranger and Tonto, really good friends. Okay, those are possibilities for my baby boomers, okay? Are y'all having fun? It's okay to have fun in church, right? Amen or oh my? All right, making sure. All right, Generation X, okay? These are people born between 1965 and 1976. So where are my Generation X people? Oh, I thought there'd be more of us. That's okay. We'll still win here. Okay. Anyway, um, during this time frame, and sometimes the time span is long, so anyway, but here are some examples of best friends during our generation. And who do you think the best friends in here are? Andy and Barney. Man, Barney was full of shenanigans himself, wasn't he? Always causing a mess. Anyway, that's an example. Or maybe... It's this. Oh, did y'all anybody see the original Star Trek series growing up? I love it. Oh my goodness, I loved it so much. So you've got, who would be the best friends here? I hear Spock and Captain Kirk. All right, beam me up, Scotty. All right, or you just might think of these. We have kids in here, folks. We want them to relate. So who do you think the best friends in here are? Scooby-Doo, 
It's Shaggy and Scooby-Doo. So I love doing that. Isn't that fun? I bet none of you, when you came to church this morning, ever thought we would be showing Scooby-Doo on the screen. Amen or oh my. All right, just checking. All right, now my millennials. Okay, millennials, you're the ones born between 1977 and 1995, large time span. Who are my millennials? Oh my goodness. We're kind of even balanced here. Okay, so millennials, again, these are shows that just happen to air originally during the time span of this generation. So it might be... Okay, Laverne and Shirley. Now, how many of you, when you were young, tried to practice what they just did? I know you did. Not raising your hand, some did. But anyway, Laverne and Shirley. Or it might be uh, Zach and A.C. Slater. I, I'm not as familiar with these next two generations. I, I know that's Saved by the Bell, but I don't know them as well. But they were BFFs, right? Okay, examples. Or maybe... Are you ready? Could be this. Oh! Star Wars. Han Solo and Chewbacca. Kids, you love that, right? I bet they're all perked up. They're like, I can't believe that pastor just did that. Okay, so that would be my millennials. And then finally, we get to our Generation Z. Now, some people call them centennials, but these are people who were born 1996 and onward. Who would that be? That's where most of the youth and kids should be raising their hand. Okay. So, this was a little hard, but here, again, are some shows and best friends that appeared during this time frame. Beverly Hills 90210. Now, that's, uh, I don't know which is which. One's Brandon and one is Dylan, okay? But BFFs, okay? Or another possibility would be Harry Potter. But you see, best friends, if you've read the books, watched the movies, Harry Potter, Ron Weasley, good friends. And then my favorite of the examples would be this. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. What are we holding on to, Sam? But there's some good in this world, Mr. Furl. And it's worth fighting for. one of my favorite examples. And Sam, being a good friend to Frodo, reminds him that there's still some good left in this world, and it's worth fighting for. And some of that goodness, folks, is in the friendships that we have. So when we think of best friends, when we look at the Bible, what example, like, automatically comes to mind? As far as when it comes to friendship, there is no better example in the Bible than, amen, Jonathan 
and David. And so I want you to go ahead, if you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel 18, uh, verses 1 through 4. And as you're turning there, you know, this is about telling our story. And we, I had the opportunity to just decide who I would kind of preach on this morning and who I really connect with. And because we've got kids in the service, I felt like friendship is something that's always relevant and probably even more so today than you realize. Um, Growing up, I didn't have any friends. I didn't have any friends. I grew up in a very dysfunctional family outside of Charleston, South Carolina. You're probably hearing that Gola accent. Sorry about that. I say, y'all, I eat grits and I live down yonder. But um, growing up, I didn't have any friends. For probably the first 15 years of my life, no one. And I can remember feeling so lonely. I was so shy. I wouldn't even look at people in the eyes. I was so introverted. But there was a longing in my heart to feel that I mattered to someone. That someone cared for me. And so today, after being a Christian... Friendship is something I cherish very much. And so as I'm telling Jonathan's story, my story is I want to be a Jonathan to others. But also I need Jonathans in my life. So let's go to the text, okay? 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 through 4. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. And there was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. And from that day on, Saul kept David with him and would not let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. And Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. And there starts the friendship of Jonathan and David. You know, in the Hebrew literature, there truly isn't a more beautiful, eloquently written story than what you find in Jonathan and in David. Now, you have to remember, what we're reading is a translation, okay? So it's going from the Hebrew to what we can understand in English. It would be the equivalent of, say, taking something like the phrase, roses are red, violets are blue, I'm in this auditorium, and so are you, okay? When you try to translate that in Spanish, guess what? In the Spanish words, it may not rhyme. In the French words, it may not rhyme. But in the Hebrew literature, it is so beautifully written. Now, as we approach, I'm going to do a little bit of teaching here, okay? Can I do a little bit of teaching? Is that okay? Amen or oh my? Y'all awake? Okay. Now, it's always important when you're studying God's Word that you, um, that you understand the genre of the book in which you're studying and the passage. In this case, it's 1 Samuel, right? And that is Old Testament historical narrative, okay? That's the genre. And basically, there is probably, there, I think, nine genres within the Bible, Okay. But the genre helps you approach an understanding what that passage really, really means. And there are three features to all narratives, okay? Now, 
I was an English literature major. Boys and girls, young ones, this is why you need to pay attention in your English classes. Amen or am I? Amen. It involves setting, character, and plot. Have you all heard that before? Okay. So those are the elements of all the narratives. And all those narratives are pointing us to the Savior. Okay. And then within the narratives, there are also two very important purposes. The purposes of the narratives are one, to chart the ongoing progress of salvation in history. You have to remember the Old Testament is one story. It's one story from creation until the birth of Christ. And the books that we find in the Old Testament depict certain times and cultures and what was going on historically during that time between creation and the coming of Christ. And then the other purpose of a narrative here is to provide illustrations of God's nature and his purpose for the things that we see and we read in God's word and how we're to respond to that. So you're probably wondering, well, what does this have to do with Jonathan? Well, what happened in 1 Samuel 17 before we go to 1 Samuel 18? Anybody know? Got your word there? David had just defeated the giant. Now, can you imagine? He's a kid. David had just defeated this massive beast of a man. And guess who was there to witness this? Jonathan. Jonathan was there. All right, look with me at verse 1. Now, after David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. And there was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. Okay, so what happens at the end of 1 Samuel 17 is Saul, the king, witnesses this little kid come out with a slingshot and stones and just destroyed this giant. And so he goes to David and he has this conversation. And back then... Everything was related to the father, right? So he asked, whose son are you? And he answers by saying, I'm the son of Jesse. And then we have this passage here, verse 1. And we see this beautiful thing that God does. Jonathan meets David. And I imagine when Jonathan witnessed everything that David did. I mean, can you imagine being there? I mean... Everything was at stake. We talk about the remnant. You know, the nation of Israel could very well be destroyed by the Philistines, right? And there were men that wouldn't even dare face the giant. So Jonathan sees something, I think, very different in David. And you can almost sense God's spirit moving, not just in David, but in Jonathan. And there was an immediate bond. For Jonathan loved David. You know, I think we all need Jonathans in our life. Amen? We all need Jonathans. Now, I can't say this for sure, but isn't it kind of a rare thing to meet somebody for the first time and just have that instant connection? I mean, sometimes, some of you might would say that, but I think that's a rare thing. And that's sad because we all need people like that. We need people who love us unconditionally. And I think that's why it's so relevant to our kids today and to our youth, because our friendships aren't 
with our iPhones and our computers and with Twitter. It's got to be with people because that's what God calls us to be. So anyway, we have the friendship of David and Jonathan established. Now, read with me what's next in the text. 1 Samuel 18.2. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and would not let him return home. Party pooper. Isn't King Saul a party pooper? Now imagine, okay, here's this big mountaintop experience for David and for the nation of Israel. Then what does Saul do? Saul, Saul forbid David from going back home to his family, to his father, to what he was familiar with. But also take note of the sequence in which we read things. What just happened in verse 1? God established this bond, right? Immediately. David felt it. Jonathan felt it. It was an anointing on their friendship. This is what this tells me. God puts people in our lives for a reason and at the right time. Amen or oh my? You see... I'm sure David didn't know that he wouldn't get to go back to see his family and his father and everything that he was familiar with. And I imagine David went through a lot of emotions. But praise God, God had put someone in his life who loved him dearly. Now, do you ever have these moments where you're on a mountaintop experience? You're just enjoying something wonderful and then something happens to steal that joy from you? Anybody experience that? Well, let me just tell you, in ministry, it happens all the time. Happens all the time. This wonderful, you know, moment, and then bam, the enemy's going to do something to try to rob us of that joy. But God had formed this bond between David and Jonathan. And when we look at the character of Jonathan, what we really see is Jonathan imitating Christ for us. Do you realize that nowhere in the scriptures will you find anything negative about Jonathan? It's, it's a very incredible, wonderful story that we find here. Now, let's read what we, uh, let's go to what happens next in verse three. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. In other words, there was this commitment from Jonathan to David to be that true, genuine, loyal friend. God knew the challenges that David would face. I mean, we have the whole Bible. We see what David faced, okay? Just read the book of Psalms. You want to know the thoughts and feelings of David? And he was very transparent, by the way. But what I see here is how God placed a high calling on Jonathan to be as godly a friend to David as he could be. I mean, do you guys understand how important a function friendship is? I think friendship is critical in today's time. God did not create us to go through life alone. What is that old saying that with a friend it's twice the joy? And with the burden, it's only half the burden. And friendships matter. And I just pray that I can be a Jonathan 
And I need Jonathan's in my life. You know, talking about how God puts the right people in our lives for a reason. I just came across this story not that long ago of um, a 17-year-old girl named Callie and Grandma Margaret. I think we've got a picture up there. There we go. And this is the story that took place. Anybody read this or see this? Just curious. It's really incredible. So Callie, 17-year-old in Columbia, South Carolina, gets a call from a number that she did not recognize. And so obviously she did not answer it, which is what I do, right? And you know, if it's important, they'll leave a voicemail. And if they don't leave a voicemail, block. Um, and so anyway, this woman leaves a beautiful, such a sweet voicemail, thinking that she was calling her grandson Barry. And it was just so sweet. Well, it compelled the 17-year-old to call this lady to let her know, ma'am, you have the wrong phone number. You've dialed the wrong person. You know, first of all, I would have texted. I mean, I don't know that I would have been as courageous and wonderful as this teen. I would have texted, I'm sorry, you have the wrong number. But Callie called her and told her, ma'am, you've got the, the wrong number. Well, Unfortunately, poor Grandma Margaret didn't realize it. And for three months, she still kept calling Callie, thinking that she was calling her grandson Barry. And each time, she would leave a voicemail. And she always ended the voicemail with, love you, later. It got to the point that Callie really enjoyed those phone calls, even though they were meant for Barry. She really enjoyed those phone calls that Grandma Margaret left. Well, after three months, Grandma Margaret finally realizes, oh my goodness, this is what Callie was trying to say. So she calls Callie, and Callie doesn't pick up, and Grandma Margaret leaves this beautiful message. Hey, Callie, I just figured it out. I'm so sorry, but I want to keep in touch with you. You know, call me back when you have a chance. Love you later. And what Grandma Margaret didn't know is that Callie was going through the darkest days of her life. You see, her parents, her wonderful parents, were getting a divorce. It was totally unexpected, and it rocked her world. And Callie said in the article that she loved those voicemails because she said when she was going throughout the day, when she was hitting this low and feeling really bad, guess what she could do? she could pull up that voicemail and listen to that beautiful message. Now, how many of y'all have done that? Don't you love to save some voicemails that really encourage you? And so when I thought about this story, this is, this is what I take from it. Just like God had placed Jonathan in David's life for a divine reason and for a purpose, God places people in our lives for a divine purpose and for a reason. So, Jonathan and David have their souls knit together. Saul prevents David from going back home. Jonathan makes a covenant with David. And then in verse 4, we read, Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. i tell you what I love about this. I love that Jonathan put actions to his words. You know, he didn't just tell David how much he cared for him and how much he loved and treasured his friendship. He showed it by giving his garments and the armor to David. Now, history, another reason why you need to pay attention in your history class, okay, is that back then in that culture, especially in the East, 
whenever a sovereign, which means king, or his eldest son gave any part of his armor or clothing to anyone, it was considered the absolute highest honor bestowed upon anybody. So the significance here is Jonathan is honoring his friend David as best as he can to the fullest of his abilities. And I would imagine, too, another reason Jonathan probably gave David these garments and some of the armor is because, I mean, David had just faced a giant. I don't imagine he was wearing the finest of clothes when he did that, right? And so Jonathan, being a good friend, just wanted to give David these things. And notice that he gives him his tunic, which, boys and girls, is just like a one-piece garment that you pull over um, that they wore back then. A tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Now, when you hear that, is there like a scripture passage in the New Testament you think of? Y'all thinking about the armor of God? Absolutely. Let's look at that. Verse 10, 6, verses 10 through 17. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Can I get an amen or oh my? We need the armor. And Jonathan knew David needed the armor. And he sacrificed. He made sure that David had what he needed to face not just the physical battles, but the spiritual battles. But we also need to think about this. Do you realize that Jonathan was actually the next heir to be king after Saul? Did you know that? Did you know that, boys and girls? Jonathan was supposed to be king. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm next to be king, I'm not so sure I would willingly give that up. But again, we look at this passage, and we see the character of Jonathan in being so selfless, putting David ahead of himself, giving him what he needed so that he could do all that God had called him to do. There's more scriptures in the Bible that kind of tell us about Jonathan and his character. I'm going to kind of quickly go through these. Um, we read in 1 Samuel 19:2, Jonathan told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warned him, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. Now, what was happening was Saul was out to kill David. In fact, he had already hurled the spear at him two times before we read this passage. 
And Jonathan, who loved his friend David, because some of the translations say their souls were knit together, he went to David to warn him of what his murderous father was going to do. So we see Jonathan's character in that. We go to 1 Samuel 19.4 right after that, and we read, The next morning Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant David, Jonathan said. He's never done anything to harm you. And he's always helped you in any way that he could. And that is so true. David had opportunities to kill Saul, but he didn't. And I think it took a lot of courage on Jonathan's part to go to his father and say, look, I need to speak truth and love to you. But David hasn't done anything. Why are you doing this? So he goes to battle for his friend David that he loves dearly. If we go to 1 Samuel 23, verses 15 through 16, we read, One day near Horish, David received the news that Saul was on the way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. And Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Jonathan was an encourager. And he spoke God's word into his life. And I imagine he was telling him, David, just like you trusted God as a boy to face that giant, have that faith in God. He encouraged him faithfully. Then we get to 1 Samuel 20, verses 41 through 42. And we come to the passage where this is probably at least according to Scripture, the last time that Jonathan and David see one another. David came out from where he had been hiding near the stone pile. Then David bowed three times to Jonathan with his face to the ground. Both of them were in tears as they embraced each other and said goodbye, especially David. At last, Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. The Lord is the witness of a bond between us and our children forever. Then David left and Jonathan returned to the town. Some of the other translations really show an almost inconsolable David. And we see the impact of Jonathan's actions, his love, and what he did for David It affected David. And we see the grief when he had to say goodbye to his beloved, I think not just friend, but brother. So in the scriptures about Jonathan and this friendship, here here are some of the things that I take away, and I hope that you've taken away from it, okay? One, Jonathan was loyal and faithful. Jonathan gave sacrificially. You know, his armaments, his clothing. Jonathan was an encourager. Jonathan put David ahead of himself. Even in that last scripture where David is almost inconsolable, it's Jonathan that's encouraging David. And when you look at this story, who's the more beautiful person? Is it David or Jonathan? It's Jonathan. Jonathan was empathetic. Jonathan was protective. And Jonathan showed the love he had for David in both words and action. Jonathan gave wise counsel. And Jonathan was there in the good times and in the bad. 
So you might be wondering, well, where does this lead us? Take a look at this quick video. Do you have that one friend? That one friend who's been with you through thick and thin? They've been with you and stood by your side for years. Maybe you don't have a friend like that. Those kind of friendships are rare. But I bet you want one. I think we all do. A great example of a friendship like that is in the book of 1 Samuel, and it's the friendship of David and Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of King Saul, and he was actually in line for the throne. But because of his father's wickedness, God told Jonathan that he wasn't going to get to fill that role. That role was actually going to be given to his best friend, David. Now, for some people, this would probably be a huge temptation to be envious and jealous, but not for these two friends. Their friendship was so strong that Jonathan actually helped David become king and protected him from his father. The Bible says that Jonathan loved David so much that he loved him as his own soul and that he called him his brother. And David describes their love as extraordinary and that their friendship was like their souls were knit together. Deep down, we all want a friend like that. The only problem is they're really hard to find. So where should we look? It's interesting that as we move away from the stories of Jonathan and David and into the New Testament, God is actually going to tell us exactly where to look to find a friend like this. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Laodicea and Colossae, and he tells them that he wants them to be this way. He wants their souls to be knit together in love, and that's part of the way that they'll experience the riches of Christ. It's amazing that Paul uses the exact same phrase that was used to describe the unity between Jonathan and David as he uses here to describe the unity that should be between fellow Christians. And it wasn't a mistake. You see, the church was never intended to be what many people have made it, just a place where we come together and meet a couple people that we know one or two times a week, shake everybody's hand and go through the formalities and then leave and forget about each other until the next appointed time. The church from the beginning was meant to be a family, a group of brothers and sisters bearing each other's burdens and nurturing, inspiring friendships. Isn't that exactly what Christ gives to us? Christ is described as our brother and our friend. And don't we then owe that back to the people who are also a part of his body, the church? Can you imagine how amazing the church will look to the world when every Christian shares the kind of love that David and Jonathan had for each other? It wouldn't look like anything else on the earth. People would be drawn to it. And that's exactly what it should look like because the church isn't from earth. It's from heaven. So back to the question, where can I find a friendship like this? For those who are already in the church, if your congregation doesn't already look like this, Begin to nurture those friendships and begin to knit your soul to the people who you worship with. If you aren't a member of the church, your best friend may be waiting for you there, waiting to join in unity and friendship with Jesus. Folks, we live in a fallen and broken world. I mean, just turn on the news. It's depressing. And to think that this is the world in which our children are growing up in. Have you ever thought about that? 
This is the world that our children are growing up in. Our grandchildren, maybe even great-grandchildren. I pray for our youth and our kids. They have a Jonathan in their lives. I pray they have a Jonathan in their lives that is constantly pointing them to God, encouraging them. I think you know that for several weeks, the church had been collecting prayer requests. And many of you shared those. As of to date, 183 people sent us their prayer request. And I think I can speak for Adam and the staff when we read those. Our hearts hurt because so many people are hurting and they feel they have no one. Just look around the room. Just look around the room at each other. Do you realize they could be going through the darkest time of their life? And it is the churches. It is our responsibility. It's our responsibility to minister to them. I'm just overwhelmed at what you guys are going through. Marriage is in trouble. Marriage is ended. Relationships with kids. Relationships with other people. Grief. Other struggles that I will just not name right now. If the church stops being the church, we're in trouble. You know, I did that fun little generational thing earlier. But I did that also with the purpose of just bringing us back to the last two generations. Gen Z and the millennials. I read this article in USA Today that was written back in March of this year that said despite all the technology that we have with social media, iPads, iPhones, despite our young ones being connected to thousands of people, to this date, they are the loneliest generation in history. And I can't even imagine it's going to get better unless we do something about it. I'm going to quote this one line in here that in particular really stood out to me in this article. Talking about the lonely generation that we have. It says, in fact, this loneliness has resulted in what officials are calling an epidemic and public health threat to the well-being of not just the elderly, but with our youth and our children as well. Folks, we need each other. Are you willing to be there, Jonathan? You know, I believe that God's scripture prompts us to respond. So what I would like for you to do right now is just, if you would just bow your heads, if you would just close your eyes. I know some of you are probably thinking, I really don't have someone that I can call a friend. I imagine maybe it's just difficult for you to form those. Maybe you're introverted and it's harder to find those. But the best advice that I can give to you, my friends, is to get involved in groups here. 
Groups that meet on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We want to know what's going on in your lives. And so what I want to do is, if you're going through perhaps some of the darkest moments of your life, this is a safe place. All I want you to do is raise your hand. If you're really struggling, would you just raise your hand? Whatever it may be, you need to know that there is no greater friend than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that you are our sovereign God. And you know us far better than we know ourselves. And you know our needs, our pain, our grief, our sin. Father, we ask that you would forgive us of our shortcomings. Forgive us as individuals and forgive us as a church for the times that we have failed to be what you have called us to be. We know that you have plans to prosper us and not to harm us. For these that have raised their hands this morning, I pray that you would wrap your loving arms around each and every one and comfort them in a way that only you can. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give them a Jonathan and that you would call them to be a Jonathan in someone else's life. And finally, Father, I I pray Ephesians 3. When we think of all this, we fall to our knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. We pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. And your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And all God's children, let me hear you say, amen.